You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. We plan our outfits, so her shoes are nicer than mine, though, so I feel a little defeated. Um, I'm going to pray us in, and then I want to just talk about uh, the concept of grace this morning. Uh, Father, we just thank you for grace. God, I thank you that we can sing um, about it even this morning, that you are a kind Father. You're someone that for so long was misinterpreted, but you're allowing us to see you the right way. And Father, I pray that we could see that even closer this morning, God, that you would give us a lens and a perspective that, God, just our words and songs couldn't even articulate, but your spirit could. And so we trust you this morning, God. I pray that we would draw closer and deeper into your grace and what that means. Um, And we just honor you, Father. Really quick, too, God, we just want to lift up Robin one more time. God, just pray for healing over his body, over his life. God, give him energy. Father, I just pray. Um, we just talking to him, Father, his sense of humor is still driving strong. Um, Father, let his body catch up to his sense of humor, and he's going to be just fine. So we trust you with that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I want to talk about the concept of grace um, this morning. And I'm not quite totally sure which avenue I'm going to take. I've got like five up here, but um, I think grace is one of the deepest wells we could dive into and... Um, try to break open, and there's no way to do it justice in one morning, but um, I'll tell you a little quick backstory of me and Grace. I grew up in a very strict household, so I learned to rebel early. I uh, grew up in very legalistic country church, and very actually very grateful for that history, because both my parents were just like catalysts in their own families, grew up in alcoholic homes, abusive homes, divided homes, and they were the only ones in their families to kind of change the path and story, so um, I'm very thankful for the roots that we have, but grew up in one of those churches where you couldn't do anything, you know, like, it, it was just intense. Um, in fact, I couldn't watch He-Man growing up, like, I don't know if anybody was a He-Man fan. Um, I loved He-Man, but uh, my parents, I couldn't watch He-Man because Skeletor was a skeleton. Right? Until I got smart later and realized we all have a skeleton. And so I'll go, Mom, why, why can't we watch skeletons? We've all got one. And then I really dropped the bomb on her, and God made them. Right? And so I still wasn't allowed to watch it, though. Um, but grew up in one of those homes, I learned to rebel early. So when I really had an encounter with Jesus and what he was really like, it just thrust me into this place of grace that was... Uh, I think dangerous to the religious mind, but freeing to the the heart. Um, and I think sometimes when it comes to grace, you know, in the past, I don't know, decade or two, there's been this almost battle between the, this this idea of hyper grace and you know too much grace. And I just want to say this: when we talk about concepts like that, first off, I don't I don't know what you mean when you say hyper grace. Um, is God's grace hyper? Of course it is. <laughs> of course it is. Uh, there's no end to it. I mean, that hyper is a good word. There's a lot of words you could use to describe it, but there's no end to grace. God's grace is not conditional tolerance. Right? Because God's grace is based on him, not based on you. Right? His value for you is what extends grace. It's the reason why there is grace. But its measure and capacity is based on him, And he's eternal in his nature. He's limitless in his nature. 
Um, and I think we have to be open to the grace of God as, as far as how we balance that even in, in our daily lives. But um, let me read a couple of Bible verses about grace really quick. There were six million we could have put in, but only put a couple just so that we know it is biblical. Um, but this is our climate. Our climate is grace. John 1.17 says this. It says, uh, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay, so there's two climates here, right? There was the climate of the law, and we know under the law it produced this consciousness of sin, and the Bible says when the law is preached, sin revives and we die, it brought this kind of tormenting culture and atmosphere and was never going to work. But when Jesus shows up, he changes the climate and the canopy of the Father over humanity, right? And so it wasn't an addition, it was a replacement. And I, just to back that up, Romans 6.14 says this, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. So this is the condition as New Covenant believers we get to live in. This is how the Father relates to us. And, and again, keep in mind that the grace of God is limitless. It doesn't get tired, it doesn't get exhausted, and your performance doesn't determine its measure. I'll say it like this, there's nothing you've ever done in Adam that will ever outperform what God did in Christ. The canopy over your life um, is based on his measure, not ours. But when we talk about grace, um, the common definition would be the unmerited, the free, just favor of God over um, our life. But what is grace based on? Okay, It's based on him, but it's also based on the truth about how he sees you. Okay? Um, I was reminded um, this morning of my daughter who's four and made me hold her all through worship. So my back hurts. Um, but we had this picture um, from a couple years ago and we're walking down the street. Um, of course, I'm like six four, and she was just like four at the time, you know, like four inches. And so we're walking and it's kind of an awkward like, you know, one of those lanky dad photos, right? Um, but I love the photo because it's this beautiful image of family. She is mine. My DNA is in her. She does things like me. She kind of looks like me sometimes. Um, she's not me, and I'm not her, um, but part of me is in her. And the beauty of uh, family is that because part of my DNA is in her, it will never change. She can never get it out, right? And so what it means to be a child of God means that when the DNA of the Father is in you, you can't get that DNA out. And so God's grace isn't based on you performing for something. God's view of you is based on the fact that he is so wired inside of you that even if you want to separate, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Why? Because his grace is based on the fact you're a son or a daughter, not based on the fact you're a good Christian. Love good Christians. That's great to be one. I don't know. Um, but that's not the point. In fact, if good, being a good Christian is our starting point, we're going to be exhausted. Amen? Um, it's based on the fact that we're positioned as sons and daughters, and I don't want to go down that trail this morning, but I do want to talk about this concept of, um, for lack of a better term, self-grace versus His grace. Okay? And I want to say this uh, before we go down this path. I am so, because of my strict upbringing, I am so anti-performance and rebellious in my nature, um, that when I balance things, I want you to hear it from my heart, okay? Um, I, I just don't think we perform at all for, for the Lord. So, um, so let that be a little context this morning. But let me tell you this quick story. Here's what grace is not. 
Um, and if there's any kids in the room, please don't use this as a role model for your life. This is my BC days. Uh, when I was 17, uh, someone told me last week, by the way, they found some old pictures of me that I looked emo. I did not know what emo really was. And I just realized emo comes from emotional. Does anybody know this? I did not know. Uh, so I've been struggling with my identity all week. It's like, I didn't know. Um, but when I was 17 years old, I went to my dad and I was like, Dad, I'm a man now and I'm bigger than you, so I'm moving out, right? And uh, I want to watch He-Man as much as I want to. And I can't do it in this house, so I'm out. And my dad and his just, you know, old school gracious nature said, all right, go for it. Um, so I moved out, moved back in later, but that's not what we're talking about this morning. Uh, moved out of the house, and you can only imagine, like, uh, I played guitar, had a friend who played bass. We're like, we're going to move in this house and start a Guns N' Roses cover band, you know? Like, it was just our dream. And we move in this house. We're totally irresponsible. Um, I didn't even have a job, barely at the time. Uh, and we somehow got this apartment in Boone. And, um, you know, we did what 17-year-olds do which isn't good stuff, and I don't want to talk about that this morning, but it wasn't good. And we had a couple friends who lived around the apartment. They were, um, for lack of a better term, just drunk guys. They're drunk guys. They were good buddies. It was drunk. One guy was named Woody. The other guy's name was Mike. Uh, Woody was a singer. He's like 60 years old, but he could sing. Um, and Mike was a drummer. Didn't have drums, but he had a five-gallon bucket. And so these guys would come to our house every night. We'd play, like, fumble through some songs, and we just had a blast for weeks. Um, but being 17, you do some stupid things. And one night, our uh, friend Mike, you know, had a little bit too much. And he fell asleep in a lawn chair across the courtyard, which is probably from here to, I don't know, past the sound booth. I mean, it's a, it's a good distance. And he's in one of those, like, foldable lawn chairs, and he's kind of like, I don't know how to, well... He was like this. His arms were crossed, and he was just out cold. Well, we had been to the fireworks store, and we thought, we're going to scare Mike. Like, just play with him, right? Um, and we had one of these, like, fireworks that kind of explodes, and it keeps exploding, and it shoots colors, and it's really a beautiful thing. And we decided, man, we're just going to throw this out you know, by his chair and see concerned parents' faces. Uh, we're going to throw it out by his chair and just scare him. You know, it'd be funny. And so I remember throwing this out of our kitchen window across the courtyard. And sure enough, like in the most Jordan way possible, this thing goes, woo, and lands right between his arms and his lap. And I thought, oh, no. We just killed the guy. Uh, now, again, not a Christian, so all this is under the blood of Jesus. Just don't repeat it. Um, and he is alive, just to clarify. Three seconds later, there's no way I could have gotten there, you know, taking the bomb away, anything like that. Like, it was, we just had to watch it play out, right? And so you're kind of sitting there, and sure enough, this thing goes off, and it's, it looks like just a full-on battle scene. It starts exploding, there's smoke, there's colors, and I, I remember to this day so many vivid details of this moment. He flies backwards. The chair just flies apart. He flies backwards on the ground. We turn off the lights, shut the window, and hide. <laughs> okay. 
because that's what good Christians do. And about, I don't know, a minute later, there's a knock on the door. (laughs) And it's Mike. And I'll never forget his face. It was just like this. And I open the door. He's got this look on his face. And I'm like, what happened? And I look down. This is so stupid. Uh, his, he had a flannel shirt on. The bottom part of his shirt and the bottom part of his sleeves were just gone. Like, just did not make it. They're gone. And luckily, he wasn't burned or anything. He was just startled and um, still half tipsy. But he says this. He says, man, you're not going to believe what happened. <laughs> and I thought, for sure, we're, we're in trouble. You know, like, uh, I was like, what? He says, this guy with a mustache, and I didn't have a mustache, I was seven, I can't even grow one now, 17, comes, he said, this guy with a mustache came running down the stairs and threw a bomb on me. And then I watched him run away. And I'm like, let's get him, Mike, where'd he go? Tell me which direction he went, let's go find this guy, right? Uh... And I thought, man, I got away with it, <laughs> right? Like, not only did I get away with it, but he blamed some other guy. And I don't even know if it was a real guy. He might have just made it up. But he, in his mind, had this whole other story that wasn't the truth. Um, but I got off scot-free and someone else took the blame. See, here's, here's what grace in, in its most beautiful, deepest form is, is that we got away with all of the condition of sin and brokenness, past, present, and future, and Jesus took the blame for all of it, right? There's no place where the blame shifts back to you, but that's not the point of grace. The point of grace isn't that I got away with it. The point of grace isn't that I got lucky one time. The point of grace is actually so much more powerful um, than just a pardon. And it certainly is that um, at its starting point. But it's more powerful that the more we continue in it. I want to read this passage in Ephesians 2. It says this. It says, But because of his great love for us. So here's why the grace of God. Because of his love for us. God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Guys, isn't this just beautiful that Even in the condition, and even when we didn't know, He moved us. He came to us. He repositioned us. His kindness was over. His his grace saturated us, and we weren't even aware that it was happening. Right? Let's keep reading. Verse number 8, it says, For it is by grace, the favor of God, it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This word saved is the, is the word sozo, and it means literally to, to be made whole. Sometimes we reduce this save talk to like going to heaven someday, but it actually most of the time isn't even talking about that. It's talking about this wholeness, what God was restoring through the Son. But it says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. 
So this idea of grace isn't just um, a statement or a climate over our lives. It's actually the foundation for us stepping into wholeness, right? How many of you guys know God doesn't just want to heal us, He wants to make us whole? And when I say that, I'm not talking about behavior modification. I'm talking about who we really, truly are coming out in every space of how we are, right? I said this a few weeks ago, but so much of our tension um, <laughs> is, is the tension between who we are and how we are, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's that thing we're always warring against. And sometimes that's performance and religion. Sometimes it's the Holy Spirit and the grace of God. And I think part of our journey is deciphering, learning to hear the Father's voice to, uh, in a way that we know which is which and what He's calling us to and out of. But it's by grace we've been saved through faith. I love that the idea of uh, being saved takes grace and faith to work together because faith means I'm persuaded by something. And if I'm persuaded by something, it means that I'm in motion toward, toward something else. Good example, if I believe the building is on fire, what do I do? I run, right? Because I believe something. And when I really believe something, there's a response to the thing that I believe. And when there's motion, it means that grace isn't just a passive thing. It's a very active thing in our lives. And it's something that we're called to be active in as well, right? And I want to look at this uh, picture of the Red Sea this morning and just unpack a few thoughts I'll tell you the story really quick just to recap. But the Israelites are set free. Right? They've been in bondage for years. Um, they've been enslaved. They've been working under someone else's authority. It's safe to say this is the life that they knew. This is pretty much all some of them knew that grew up in that environment. And God wants to set people free. You know the story. He sets them free. Moses leads them out. And they're on their way to freedom. And they're just starting the journey, and the Bible says that uh, God hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he goes after them, and all of a sudden, uh, on their way to freedom, they realize their enemy is now coming again, and they're panicking, right? And they're kind of running, and they come to an impossible scenario, which is called the Red Sea, and they're trapped. They can't go through because it's not in their power, and they don't have a boat, and they can't go back because Pharaoh's coming. And the story goes on that, you know, God in his miraculous power uh, uses Moses to part the sea. The waters spread and the Israelites go through and they're on the other side and the enemy followed, but the enemy was consumed and everybody clapped and cheered and they worshiped and it was awesome. God saved the day. Can I tell you what grace is like? Grace is like getting set free from an environment. Our climate's changed. Okay, But the reality is, and this is why it's not performance-based, it is impossible for you to change you to the measure you'll be like Him. Your sweat and labor will never make you like Him. Only He can do that. Right? He's called us to that, which means if He's called us to that, then He's equipped us and graced us for that, and it's not on you to produce that. Okay. Our job as believers is walking that balance and figuring out, okay, God, how do I uh, walk this thing out, this thing that you've called me to? Because grace really is a call from one place to another. Here's, here's a good example. The Israelites, uh, spontaneous skit, 
the Israelites are over here. Pharaoh's back here. Here's the water. It opens up. This pathway from one side to the other, this is grace. That's grace. That's the grace of God. Grace is an infinite safe passage to become the thing that we already are, which is the children of God. Amen. This is what grace looks like. Now, here's, here's the tragedy of the scenario. It would be foolish to have this passage and stay here. Right? Why? Because my oppressor's going to be here with me. Now, you can sit here, and grace is still good, grace is still open, and he's never shutting the door on you. Right? But if you're like me, I'm not content to sit on this side because I want, I want to know what life is like on that side. Right? I want to, I want to talk about this concept of self-grace or my grace. I don't know if this is the best terminology, but self-grace versus his grace. Okay? Um, first thought. Self-grace places favor over what's broken. God's grace places favor on you and gives you safe passage out. One more time. God, uh, self-grace puts favor on what's broken. It allows me to stay here. God's grace puts favor on you and opens the water. It's an invitation to come from one side to another. Right? It's this, um, let me read it here. I think I have a verse here. Exodus 14. I'm nitpicking this because it's way too much to read um, this morning. Um, and and let, me all, let me also say it like this. Grace is this invitation. God called them to freedom, but they had to choose to walk. He opened the water, but they had to take a step. Right? This is what grace is. It's a partnership. It's not just a canopy. It's a partnership to walk in. Um, yeah, so then Moses stretched out his hand. Exodus fourteen twenty one to 22. And all night the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind, turned it into dry land. The waters were divided, and the Israelites, here's the powerful part. This is how we respond to grace. The Israelites went through. The Israelites went through the sea on dry ground. So this is how we respond to grace. You don't have to win. You don't have to be enough. You don't have to be strong enough. You don't have to be the best Christian in the world. You just got to walk. You just have to move. When God gives you grace and a space, you simply have to move. But self-grace just puts favor over the situation. God's grace puts favor on me and gives me a way out. And I want to say this this morning. Your situation could be anything. Um, here's the truth. As a son or a daughter, he's repositioned you. You're already who you are. Right? It's how you are that's catching up to the truth. And it's grace that empowers how you are to get there. It's this infinite safe passage to become who you already are in Jesus. And what a shame it would be not to use that, right? Um, let me say what I would... I think, like, <laughs> I had a friend, he was a, he was a pastor, or he still is. Um, but man, he just, he loved the Lord so much zeal, like, but too much testosterone. And he just... Just one of those guys. I mean, it's just, you know, performance and I don't know. I, I, I don't want to talk about it. Um, but we just, we just go in circles about hyper grace. He, 10 years ago, got on the hyper grace kick and wanted to burn everybody's churches down kind of thing, you know. Um, he's like, man, are you guys hyper grace? I was like, well, what are you talking about? What is, what is hyper grace, you know? 
And I think in his mind it was this idea that's like, man, we just take God's grace and like Paul would write, do we continue in sin so that grace abounds? Because Paul understood that grace will always outpace sin. There's no measure in which sin will ever fill up the cup of God's grace that was poured out in Jesus and given to us, um, which is grace. So yeah, grace is hyper in that sense. Um, but I think what he was really talking about was grace being an excuse. And we used to mess with him like we'd uh, come up with stuff. We had lunches one time. This isn't relevant to the message, but I'm spacing a little bit, so let's go. Um, I remember, remember one time me and another guy, a group of pastors, would get together and We'd always set him up just to get him riled up. And so we'd come up with these theological weird things. And I remember one time we said, hey, man, what if we go in and act like the devil got saved and baptized and he's going to heaven? And, you know, that, wouldn't that be awesome? And so we go in and we're just, we slip it in the conversation. And then we just move past it real quick. We're like, man, isn't, man, isn't God's grace good that even the devil got saved? Isn't that awesome? Anyway, so, and then we kept going. And I saw the corner of my eyes, his head started to turn purple, like it was going to pop off, you know. Like, but he was one of those guys, like you mentioned grace, and he was triggered. And I think where it comes from is like, there is sometimes this tendency to stand on this side and just talk about how awesome God's grace is. Sing songs about how amazing his grace is. Meanwhile, we're still sitting on the shore with our oppressor, Right? And if you really want to know how awesome His grace is, just walk in it. It doesn't require a whole lot, but just, just to walk. So there's, there's motion in the grace of God, but my grace allows me to just put favor over the thing. But His grace puts favor on me and gives me a way out of the thing. Um, next one. Self-grace allows us to stay comfortable without transformation. God's grace makes you uncomfortable until there is transformation. When I say it makes you uncomfortable, I'm not talking about condemnation. We know the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul wrote that right after setting the stage for what grace is. Paul had a great grip on grace, but he says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So we solve it on this level, but the Holy Spirit will convict you and make you uncomfortable So I say that tension between who we are and how we are so often is actually the Holy Spirit just trying to get you to walk down the path that he's made for us, right? Sometimes my journey looked like this. I'm sitting here. God is good. I know it. I I can embrace it. I celebrate it. But then there's these moments where I was at tension. And in my early years of faith, I struggled because I just hated performance. I was rebellious, didn't like religion. And so I'm like, I'm not going to do anything uh, like God loves me where I am, you know. And that's so true. It's so true. Um, But God didn't call me out just to love me where I'm at. Right? Um, And it was his spirit that was making me uncomfortable. It was actually his kindness. You remember that verse that says his kindness leads to repentance? See, God's grace, when you really understand his favor on you, man, it makes you uncomfortable to stay in a place that's less than what you were designed for. Amen? And the the deception is, on this side, there is no condemnation for you in Christ Jesus. You can sit with your oppressor and be totally... Completely loved, forgived, healed, going to heaven, streets of gold, all the cool, whatever. But that's not the point. 
That's not the, the point's not to get away with it. In fact, if you're sitting here and that's your revelation of grace, I don't know that you have a real revelation of grace. Because a real revelation of grace makes you, I don't know why I'm squatting, um, just seemed like the right thing to do. There's something over here. Um, but a real revelation of grace makes me uncomfortable to stay on this side. It actually draws me to start to want to walk. Right? It starts to pull me through, but my grace allows me to stay comfortable. But His grace makes me uncomfortable until there's transformation. I think there's this moment, it's Exodus, uh, where is it at? 14.10. It said, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and they saw the Egyptians. Right. So in other words, they didn't live in this idea on their way out they didn't live from this perspective that there wasn't something that god was still delivering them from does that make sense they didn't get comfortable because they realized there was an oppressor okay sometimes with a bad revelation of grace we're comfortable to stay with the oppressor because god is good and i'll be okay but you weren't designed to just squeak to heaven someday. You were designed to be a son or a daughter in the earth right now. Part of the redemption and the light of the world to be the salt of the earth. To see things shift. Which means you've got to get up and walk somewhere. And take some people with you. Because if we're going to change the world. Then we can't just sit in it comfortably. And not change. But they saw. They acknowledged. Hey man there's some stuff. And I would ask you even this morning. Like I'm not certainly not a conviction, you know, preacher, trying to get everybody saved today. Um, and I'm speaking from my own journey. Like, um, but it's, it's so easy to just, to just to get so familiar with God's grace that we no longer see the need to move. We no longer see the need to grow. And I'm just telling you, His grace is there so that we can move. It is the pathway from one side to another. So we have to acknowledge there are things... Um, that God wants us to shift from. Third one is this. Self-grace, it binds your identity to the struggle. But God's grace separates your identity from it. You see this in Jesus. Jesus shows up. And again, grace and truth are coming with him. And grace and truth are transforming the world. Um, one of my favorite stories I think it's John 8, woman in adultery. They bring her to Jesus, and they're right under the context of the law. But they had never met grace and truth. And Jesus is there, and Jesus is now not just truth, but now he's the right way. Um, and they say, Jesus, what would you do? And Jesus ignores them, writes on the ground. You know the kind of scene. But Jesus is standing there, and he had this capacity to see something they couldn't. And you see it all throughout the Gospels, but Jesus had this just beautiful way to separate the condition of humanity from the moment of humanity, from the value, from the identity of who they were. You see, when it comes to me and my four-year-old daughter, it doesn't matter how she will ever be, I'll always see my daughter. And so even if I show up eight years, nine years, ten years down the road and she has a condition, it'll be easy for daddy to separate her from her condition. Right? This is what God's grace does. 
It doesn't penalize you from the thing you can't see. It actually promotes you based on what only he could see, which is this isn't just a woman who's a prostitute. This is my daughter, and she just does not know. No greater example than when Jesus is hanging on the cross and the grace of God is being poured out for mankind. Talk about a Red Sea parting as blood and water flowed from the side of Jesus. All humanity was about to pass through and no one even knew what was taking place. And Jesus is hanging there and here's here's what he does. He separates them from the situation and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know. How could you do that? Because God's grace separates identity from the struggle, right? See, sometimes our identity is so wrapped up in what we do that it's hard to get away from what we do because we think it's actually us. (laughs) You know, can I tell you, just be vulnerable. He said, he, Stephen mentioned being honest this morning. So now the door is open. When I first met the Lord, like, like for real, not in the anti-he-man church days but like when i really encountered the lord i was going through so many just things because i was just like passionate about jesus and i was extreme um at first because you're just trying to throw the world away and you know embrace jesus and i didn't know how um but it was every tiny negative thing that would hit my heart man it was just like a dagger i mean just self-worth you're just bombing yourself because you're just never good enough if that's your metric and I don't know if it was anger, if it was lust, if it was rebellion, but I remember one um, day I was praying to the Lord and I was just like, had these thoughts. I, I don't remember specifically what it was, but I was praying, God, like, I, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want this. I don't want to be like this. And I kept saying it over and over again. I said, God, I don't want this. God, I don't want this. And I'm just praying, like, and as clear as a bell, the Lord spoke to me and he said, I know you don't. You think, okay, here's why that was so powerful. Because he was revealing my own heart to me. I thought something was wrong with me because I had a thought in my head. And I tied it to my identity. But when God said, I know you don't, he was saying, listen to who you really are. It was so powerful because it allowed me in that moment to separate who I was from how I was. And man, you talk about having a different model of, quote, warfare after that. The enemy doesn't have power over you unless you allow how you are to be tied to who you are. Because then he can poke how you are and it will crumble you. And rather than manifest a son or a daughter, you will live as a slave um, to a voice that's not the father's. But it set me free because God allowed me to see, man, this is how I see you. Now see yourself the same way. Um, But it wasn't my grace, it was his grace um, over me. But my grace binds my identity to struggles, but his grace separates it. Here's the other one, uh, or a couple more, and then we'll be done. Self-grace puts the burden of change on you, but his grace fights for you. Again, big picture, he's already done it in a big sense, right? He's repositioned us, we're a new creation, but now he's doing it in the daily walk with me sense of when we talk about following Jesus, he's saying, hey, walk through these waters that I've parted. Just come with me and learn what it looks like to do life uh, like me. Quick Bible verse, Exodus 14, 13 and 14, it says, Moses answered the people, don't be afraid, stand firm, and you'll see the deliverance. 
the Lord will bring you. The Lord will fight for, fight for you. You need only be still. This is what I was talking about a couple of weeks ago with warfare. Jesus comes and he remained a son. That was the greatest measure of warfare there ever was. He didn't move when the enemy came and challenged his sonship. He knew the truth and he stayed in it. Because the truth will go for and it will fight for you if you just remain the thing that you were called to be. Now, remaining doesn't mean you're not walking, doesn't mean you're not uh, in motion. You can walk in the grace of God and remain in truth. Um, but the grace of God means that he's fighting for you. You're not performing for it. And you won't get changed by performing. You'll get changed by having a revelation of his grace as you walk with him. Amen. Um, last one. Because I realize it's 1201. And KFC is open. No one go. No one goes there. Stop. <laughs> Self grace. And I'm just going to pray, Father, help us hear this, and just that, just this. There's this subtlety you want to give us this morning, God, that. Only your spirit can come in the back door of. And God, I just pray that your spirit would be greater than my attempt to make sense of your word. But self-grace, self-grace keeps you a slave. But his grace releases you as a son. You understand when they came out of Egypt, they didn't know what freedom looked like. All they had known was slavery. That was the challenge. It was comfortable. It was rhythmic. They knew how to do it. They get out into the desert. They didn't know how to do it. They complain, hey, why'd you bring us out here? We could have just died in Egypt. Why don't we just go back? At least there were graves there. Like They wanted to stay on the shore because they didn't know how to walk the path. And it's funny because Jesus comes, sets mankind free in repentance is not so much about what you're turning from. It's just as much about what you're turning to. But the gospel we preach so often is turn from, turn from, turn from. But we actually never tell people what they're turning to. Turn away from being a slave, but we never tell them who they are as a son. We say it's not valuable to be, uh, quote, in sin, but we never tell them their value as a son or a daughter. And can I tell you that value and driving by the grace of God, again, if his kindness leads to repentance, then it's that message and that revelation that is the very thing that's going to empower you to turn from the shoreline and get to the other side. Because ultimately the story was they walk through. They get in the middle. The Bible says their enemies followed. And if you're like me, there's times you feel like, man, I'm walking in God's grace. It's good, but my oppressor's still right here. What gives? Am I doing something wrong? And this is where we want to get into either some weird warfare or we want to not stand on truth because we think it's not working. But again, God's grace is working for you. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen in your time the way you thought that it would. It means that you just keep walking, trusting him and trusting that his grace is good. Because when you got to the other side, when they got to the other side, the waters closed, the enemy was consumed. And then that great word about worship and praise last week. Talk about a moment. They turn around and their response was worship, right? It's a revelation of what he's done, but also what he's doing um, that brings freedom and it releases songs, it releases perspective. But God's grace doesn't leave us on one side. God's grace is this infinite passage to walk safely 
to another side. Again, I want to read these one more time, then I'll pray over us and we'll be done. Self-grace places favor over what's broken, but His grace places favor on us so that we have a passage out. Self-grace allows us to stay comfortable without change. His grace makes you uncomfortable until there is change. Self-grace binds our identity to our struggle. His grace separates it. Self-grace puts the burden of change solely on you, but His grace fights for you. The Holy Spirit empowers you. Self-grace, grape grapes. Love grapes. Self-grace, grapes. Self-grace keeps you a slave. But His grace releases us as sons and daughters. Father, we, we thank You that Your grace is a passage. God, I thank You that um, the depth of it is limitless. God, I thank You that sin can outrun it. The things we struggle with can outrun it. And God, I thank you that even if I stay on one side, you're, you're going to sit with me. That's who you are. That's the mystery of this whole thing is you're just that good. But Father, I feel the tension often. Not just for me, but for your church, God, to learn what it means just to walk. Not in the pressure of performance. Not in the systematic approach of self-help, trying to polish ourselves to the other side, but walking with this full assurity and trust that you are powerful enough. Your grace, as the word says, is sufficient enough to get me to the other side if I just walk. God, I pray for... um, every heart, every mind here and online this morning, God, that those spaces where maybe sometimes we're just comfortable, we've gotten used, or maybe sometimes we've wrapped our identity in our struggle. God, I pray that you would allow people to see themselves aside from it. And God, that you would help us walk safely with you into new territory. And God, for so many who have left certain things, God, I pray that we would know what it means to live in freedom. Even if we're not used to it, God, let us trust you on the journey. We trust you and love you. Amen. I think that was awesome. I think that was an amazing message. And I, I don't even know why I'm coming up here to basically say the same thing that he just said. I was just so excited. I just wanted to. Because I believe this is an incredibly important message. And when I think it can change our whole lives when we get a hold of this message. And, and here's what I believe the message is. It, well, it's what he just said. So I'm really just repeating what he just said. Like I said, I was just so excited, I wanted to add my language to it. But Ray Hollenbach is a good friend of mine. He says this. He says that uh, he has this number of things that he thinks we, we get wrong. 
that we often get wrong. Not we, but everybody, right? And he says, one thing that we often get wrong is we assume that because grace is for the forgiveness of sins, we assume that that's the primary purpose of grace. And we are forgiven by grace, but the purpose of grace, grace doesn't exist. It does Forgive us of our sins, but it doesn't exist for that purpose. That's not the primary purpose of grace. The primary purpose of grace is that we could be formed into the likeness of Jesus. The primary purpose of grace, like Dan says, is that we could become who we already are. We could become on the outside who God has already created us to be on the inside. But it's very easy to just want to come to church and see grace as simply... Um, the ability to survive when grace actually exists so that we would have the opportunity to flourish and to thrive. And I love how you pointed out that the word saved means to be whole. Because we always think of saved in the sense of a survival, right? But when you dream about your kids, when you dream about your children, your dream is not that they would simply not die. Like, you, you obviously don't want them to die. You, do, you want your kids to survive, but your dream for your children is not that they would survive. Your dream for your kids is that they would thrive. And that's, one of, that's a prayer I have for Queen City that I've had for years, is that we would encounter grace in a way where we don't just feel like we survived our sins, right? But they would, we would encounter grace in a way that we could thrive and become everything that the Lord has called us to be. So I'm really just getting up here to say yes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let Shelly close it. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.